growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. Hey, it's GQ here, and thanks for tuning in to the How We Solve podcast. Today, I have with me Matthew Black, CEO and co-founder of MAV. Welcome to the show. Thank you, GQ. Glad to be here. All right, super cool. Before we dive into the problem that everyone is really curious to hear about, can you share a little bit more about how you got started with MAV and what MAV is about? MAV's been around for about three years now, and it actually was a product that stemmed from my consulting agency, which is actually the problem we're uh, here to talk about. And it was just a problem we saw ourselves solving a lot of times over, and we recognized a pattern and decided to build a product out of it. All right. All right. Super cool. Maybe we can even talk about the problem here first. So you just mentioned about transitioning from a consulting agency over to a product company. Is that what we're here to talk about today? Yeah, absolutely. Just to give uh, listeners a bit of context. So I I really like the way Matt has actually shared how how you phrase a consulting agency and a product agency. So a consulting agency, it's where you solve many problems for many people. And a product company is where you solve a specific problem for specific customers. Now, I remember when we first caught up, uh, it was definitely not Matt, and I think it was called Black Ops, was it? Was it Black Ops? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell us, how did that happen? How did that turn into math? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe what I could do is even give a little background on why I even started Black Ops, the consulting firm, because I feel like yes, that's a, yeah, that's a good kind of umbrella over the, the whole story. So I started Black Ops as a traditional digital agency. We build uh, mobile apps, backend APIs, and websites. And it was kind of my solution to meeting all the people I've met over the last 12 years of being in tech. I did two startups before this. One was successful, one was absolutely not. <laughs> but in that, in that period, I just met so many people. And when you're doing a startup and they're doing a startup, it's, you know, you try to find a way to work together, but you can't. When I created this agency, this was a great way for me to call up all my friends and say, hey, remember that time when we wanted to work together? Well, hey, I have this agency. Tell me about your problem and I can solve it. And I just did that over and over and over and pretty quickly got to a point where we were, we had a, a, a pretty kind of small, successful consulting company. And that was great, but you know, it's not as creative as a startup, right? Where you really come up with your own vision, your, your, your own direction. And one of those customers that we were working with at the time was this fashion brand out in New Zealand. They're called Rod and Gun, and they're kind of like a Ralph Lauren, but for Australia and New Zealand. At the time, they actually had a really close relationship with Facebook. And Facebook said, hey, this is 2016 at the time, they said, hey, we're about to release this chatbot ecosystem. That's what they were calling it at the time. They said, we would love for you to be a launch partner on that. And they didn't really know anything about this thing. So they said, hey, Matthew, do me a favor, connect with Facebook, spend some time with them, and let me know if this is something we should do. I remember me and my CTO, we ended up getting an inside scoop about what they were going to release in 2016. I remember looking at him and saying, wow, dude, I think this could be pretty, pretty awesome. I don't really think it's going to work out, you know, kind of how they think or you know, big, lofty, ambitious goals, but there's something special here. So we ended up 
becoming one of the the early launch partners. We released um, a use case for for that customer. I was talking about. We also did a few kind of side use cases. So we did like an unofficial one for UFC. We did an unofficial one for Bands in Town. One for Go Watch, which is like a fan Fandango competitor. And uh, we had just done so many so quickly that we just said, "Hey, all the tools that we use to make this, let's just open source it, right? All the all the strategies we're making, let's just write about it, make blog posts about it." And we didn't think much about it because we had this agency and we were doing other things, and that was creating revenue for us. But we actually, January first, two thousand seventeen, I woke up and I started getting emails from. All these Fortune 500 brands, executive emails saying, and the, the theme was the same. It was, hey, Matthew, we don't know if we should do this. We don't know how we should do this, but can we just hire you to help us figure it out? And what they were talking about was a customer acquisition bot. And the reason they found me is because we ended up getting put on a 2017 Rockstar Agencies to Watch list. I believe it got published on AdAge or, or yeah, AdAge. And we're number 10 on that list. And they coined us as the chatbot agency. Um, <laughs> and it, nice. again, totally news to me. This all happened kind of from our R&D projects, the blog posts we had posted. It was a blessing in disguise because what it really did was focus us as a company and you know, really allowed us to specialize in one thing. And out of that, we decided to say, hey, you know what? Let's stop doing all this other consulting. That was phase one. Let's just do consulting around acquisition chatbots. And then phase two was, hey, how do we, how do we roll this into a, a product company, a SaaS product company? Okay. Okay. Wow. But, that, but it sounds like quite the journey that brought you here. It sounds like maybe everything was just kind of lining up for you to switch this into math gradually. I wish it was that simple because uh, that sounds very simple. But no, it was a really rough, confusing couple of years, um, especially oh, when you gosh. go from making money to f- having to fire customers. We can talk about all that stuff too. And then ultimately having to decide on saying no to a lot of people, which is very unlike the DNA of a consulting agency. For, for, for listeners out there who, who own their own agencies and are thinking about Making that switch, taking that, taking that, I'm not sure if you can call it a leap of faith, but I guess making that gradual switch, uh, because it sounds like, it sounds like it was, yeah, this could be a, like, you could see how this would pan out into a product company, right? You would see that there, yep. there are the steps to get there. But for some people, maybe it's like, they've been thinking about it, they've been on the fence, but they're not maybe having the kind of validation that they should go down this route, right? So, uh, I guess, you know, if you could share what the steps are to making that transition, and maybe things that they should look out for. Yeah, and that's a great question. And I, and I do believe that there's a smart way to go about this and maybe a more kind of leap of faith way. I'm going to try to explain kind of the thought process that we went through and the steps that we kind of validated on that transition. The first kind of step that I was asking myself in 2017, early 2017, was from a consulting standpoint, were we doing the same job over and over and over, right? Were we learning on how to sell the same set of services over and over and over? Was there a repeatable pattern there, right? And that's actually what happened. Once we got put on that list, we started getting like-minded customers coming to us asking for more or less the same thing, right? At first, we had to treat every project as its own individual project. 
So, you know, sp specific strategy sessions, specific onboarding, specific kickoff, specific technology, right? So it wasn't just, you know, strategy and creative, but we also built the thing, right? So every time we were building it, it almost was like, press the duplicate button, press the duplicate button. And then, you know, maybe after like the fourth or fifth project, we started saying, hey, don't rebuild that. Just take that core piece of that, that platform, that core piece of that strategy or that core piece of creative and let's turn it into a framework, right? And it was right around that time where we started repeating kind of the processes we were doing inside of the consulting company that I started to see a really good opportunity to maybe bring this to market as a product. So that was kind of the first step. Like, you know, we didn't really even think about turning it into a product. We just kind of saw that we were doing the same sort of thing over and over from a, a consulting company. This definitely does make sense because when you work in an agency, identifying what you're constantly doing this well not the same exactly everything will be custom fit right like when you had like you said at the core of it it's something that you can duplicate and you can replicate at scale so once once an agency has identified this part this core part of their service what's the next step for them to start making that switch over yeah so i like to kind of think about this as like the hybrid right so what we ended up doing is we actually ended up building that product we didn't take it to market, but we built the product and we basically tried to bring it right back to our consulting customers. Our biggest customer, um, it's a large insurance company. They were with us three years ago and they're with us today. And it wasn't, it, the, the arrangement and the agreement has changed. It's evolved, right? It started as a consulting, completely custom arrangement. Kind of that phase two, that second step was, hey, I think we can. I think we can service you better if you onboard onto our internal tool. So we got them onto our internal tool, which is today now known as Mav. But to them, it was just this thing that we had built for them, right? But we got them onboarded. We really tried to validate it. We, and then we got another customer on it and another customer. And actually, to be, to be honest with you, that phase was the most confusing part of the company because especially when we're doing consulting projects for such large brands, the pains and the requirements and the solutions are so hyper-specific to those brands. But a product really can't be, right? So we were kind of bound, there was this dichotomy of, um, hey, you know, we can onboard them onto our platform, but are they even a good fit? Is this someone we want on the platform long-term? And if not, do we have to let go like we had to do all these crazy things of you know saying hey that that customer can actually you know come with us on this journey and unfortunately that customer cannot and that's right around that time is where we raised some external capital too to help us because we knew we were going to go like this from a revenue standpoint um it's actually more like this but you know you get the idea that having to let customers go we would take a big hit from a revenue perspective yeah, and I, but I think like in the long term, this definitely makes sense because, and you're right. You know, if I was an if I'm an agency owner right now, and I I was thinking about the shift here, you're and you mentioned this like in, in your DNA where you used to do like like you could find a way to work with uh, oh not necessarily every other client like a client still has to, to be a good fit because if you want to make sure the client's successful, you have to there's a good match there. But I think with products, you have to be very well very strict with it such that. 
you know that you're not uh, both of it's, it's like a win-win situation when you have a customer on board. You don't want to just keep someone just because, okay, sure, we will customize this to make it work for you. And like, you know, you'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a really important aspect of it. But also the other aspect of it is knowing that on the other side of this, you are going to have to find more like-minded customers. So really keeping the first initial customers as similar as possible is just going to feed assets from a sales perspective that you're going to desperately need really fast when you go out to market. So you know, if you had customers in all these different industries doing all these different use cases, and there was no common ground or commonality between them, you're setting yourself up for a very hard time when you know you need to actually identify who in the market is a good customer, and you have to spend money and resources to go out and get them. Yeah, yeah, that is very true. That is very true. So now, once this part is done, like, how did you pack? I, I guess maybe this is probably like the next step where you've already started. You know, you've you've gotten funding. You're you know now you're working towards building out and working with more. Uh, I guess ideal clients, uh, you know, working with math. What was like at this stage is well, what's the product already? I guess like repackaged and 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 kind of like improved to the point where it's math as it is now. Or was there like a, a kind of like a transition phase? <laughs> I guess in between because you've been working with so many different kinds of setups and then bringing it all together into one product. How, how did that work? Yeah, and I don't know if the listeners can see my smile, but um, <laughs> it just paints the the story and how oh, how God. extraordinarily hard all of that is. What you just said, and maybe to to give the listeners just a little context of you know who the type of customers we were working with and who we narrowed that down to. So when we were doing acquisition bots in the consulting firm, we were doing it for a healthcare company, an insurance company, a a trading company, like a, a stock trading company, a dog food company, a cosmetics company, and oh, a, a weight loss company. I, I, my, I, I'm forgetting all these companies we worked with. And as you can see, their problems and their solutions and their use cases were all different, right? Hyper different. And especially depending on how big they were or how small they were. What we realized is what we're really good at was solving the acquisition problem for fintech companies specifically finance, and furthermore, specifically mortgage, insurance, and legal. Like Those were kind of our, our secret sauce right there. So anyone who didn't quite fit in that bucket, we had already kind of phased out. We let them go. We matched them with other pairing consulting firms. And we built the product around the core of fintech, solving the core problems that fintech companies have. That being said, we were still doing a lot of manual things behind the scenes. And it's because, you know, it takes a long time to build a product, especially in in a new technology sector. So there was a good period of time where the product was actually just a dashboard to see kind of visibility layers on what we were still doing manual from the other days, right? Or the older days. So a lot of time was still spent on building that product to a point where we could actually go out to a market and turn the onboarding time from, honestly, a month down to a couple of days. A lot of time was spent on just perfecting that product and then kind of positioning it towards, towards fintech brands. Let's, let's just assume that you know, they have already uh, successfully, I guess, uh, solidified, uh, like an agency has successfully solidified this final MVP, or not MVP, like the product for them to start scaling from there, right? 
what would be, I guess, like the final step or the final, and, and of course, we're kind of oversimplifying it into steps, right? There are obviously a lot of things in between. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. But like, what, what, what would be that final thing that the company must do to complete this transformation or this transition? Well, I like to use this analogy, and I've been using this analogy for probably five years now. Uh, it's a very timeless analogy. When you launch your app or your SaaS product or whatever it may be, it's almost like when people say, hey, we launched it, it's the final step, like, let's, let's celebrate. Couldn't be further from the truth. It's actually more like you've worked tirelessly over the last year to start this grocery store. And the launch day is actually just you opening up the doors, right? Uh, to this grocery store. You're actually just in business. Like your, your work is actually just now beginning, right? Because even now to this day, and we've been public with Mav for, we did November. So we're about five or six months publicly out there. Every single day, we learn something that we didn't know. The market tells us something that we still are learning and we still have to adjust and we still got to do this. So, you know, as far as like all the product work we did before we launched in that transitional phase, if anything, the product work is, is increasing, right? The learnings are increasing. So, you know, as far as an MVP is concerned, I know for a fact that most founders and myself included, they wait too long to launch. Who cares? Get it out. Get it out as fast as humanly possible. Like that is one thing I wish we would have done a little bit early. Um, we spent a lot of time perfecting things. Just get it out there, right? Get it out there. Put it out there. It's not going to be perfect. Who cares how ugly it is behind the scenes? No one cares. If it truly solves the problem that you're trying to solve, that's really the kind of information you need to get. You need to get it as fast as humanly possible. Secondly, learn to charge for it. It's that simple. You know, I know in myself included, I make, I make this mistake time and time over, but one of the truest forms of knowing if you have this product market fit or, you know, whatever the, the kids are calling it these days, if someone's going to pay you, right? If, if you're going to get paid for the thing you're selling is the truest form that you have something that's going to work. And I think even if it's a dollar, putting that credit card in there, there's some sort of psychological thing that happens that says, I really thought through what this product can do for me. And by putting my credit card in, that's me feeling good about it. Trying free betas, free demos, free product things like, you know, people do that. People do that with no real, you know, you don't have to think about that. So, so those are kind of two things I wish if we kind of had done a little bit earlier. And then, you know, this phase three that we're in right now, it's the constant battle of forgetting the consulting mentality of tell us your problem and we can solve everything. It's more, no, this is what we're really, really good at. And unless you're in that pocket and you're in that bubble, maybe this product isn't for you. And you know, saying that is, is a whole new kind of DNA. I think that definitely does... And like you said, it's just like when you start scaling up this product and working with other clients in this space, it just really helps you better focus your efforts anyway. Because if you want to please everyone, you're never going to get like uh, you're never going to get a strong product, right? Like I guess maybe that maybe there might be a possibility down the line. But as you as you're going with your strongest suit, and we, and we were talking about maps capabilities before. I think we 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 talked about uh, what the key focus uh, points were that 
going and getting really good at what you do in that niche and that specific use case and these specific use cases, which you mentioned some of them. I think that's the most important thing here when you build a product company. Yeah, especially if your product requires you to have specific training data. So we built an artificial intelligence tool. So that was another learning that we had is that all of our customers spanned across. We had no moat, right? We couldn't go in and take data from a from a cosmetics company and think that that applies to an insurance company. It just doesn't. And when you're building artificial intelligence, your training data is everything. So even that hyper-focused and relevant, just make sure your product is actually 10x on the other side. And, and this is a really interesting point that you brought up as well. When you talked about product development, this is this definitely does take longer because it's new technology that you're working with, right? So how do you sell that? To the market that uh, to, to to a new market as well because like you know when we talk about fintech it's it's coming up rapidly all right but there's like a lot of new things every single day that you have to keep up with so how do you do that I'm still learning every day man <laughs> <laughs> I'm still learning every day and you know for me to for me to share anything would be it's hard it's hard you know the only thing I can keep coming back to and this goes a little bit to the DNA of our customers as well. The reason why we pair so well with fintech customers is because it's the emergence of finance and technology. So, you know, when we look at our, our target customers, like there's two types of people, there's two types of mentalities when, when I look at a traditional, let's say, mortgage outlet. There's a mortgage outlet that looks at things like marketing as a creative problem. Uh, better creative, better TV ads, um, better brands, right? More the traditional, right? If I came in with Mav, which is a AI-based automated texting uh, robot, and I said, "Hey, you should use this to acquire customers," that's going to offend them. They're not going to, you know, there's going to be no, no kind of common ground, right? And we realized that pretty early on that, hey, maybe those people aren't our early adopters. They're not going to really vibe with really early technologies. But on the other side of it, and especially in fintech, there's another dynamic, and it's the data-driven, tactical, highly strategic marketer, right? And you can you can usually find the companies that have these people because they're called head of growth, uh, head of acquisition, performance marketer. It's like these job titles that say, I look at marketing as a data problem, right? That is data-driven problem. And anything that has to do with automation or technology that helps me accomplish that, I welcome. Those, those, that group, that subset of finance and more in the umbrella of fintech, uh, they're great customers for us because they're constantly looking for new technologies to help them pull away. So we just try to find those people and we try to say, hey, we're not going to help you solve anything new. We're helping you solve the same problems you had. But we're just taking a little bit different route. We're talking, we have a whole different approach, a newer approach. And based off of who you are, you yourself, and who your company is, I think you might dig it. And that's kind of how we position it. And that's, you know, we don't try to say, you know, groundbreaking new tech. They get it. They understand and they're used to trying new things. So you just got to find the right people who are already in the mood to try new technologies. That's really interesting as well because the, the technology that you have there, and uh, you know, this is a very common topic that has come up because you know, like like uh, with our business LTV Plus, we 
uh, we do outsourcing, right? And so yep. it's more, uh, well, it, to some degree, it's human focused, but at the same time, we adopt the idea that technology is here to kind of like work together and work for like the business as a whole. As a, and, I, and I think like when bots are brought into the picture, some people might find it tricky or they, they might get a little bit iffy, I guess, when it comes to like understanding that bots could possibly replace people. Now, is that ever an objection that you face when you work with clients? 100%. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, um, there, there's two aspects of it, right? There's the aspect that, oh, you know, robots are going to take my job. And then there's the other aspect of my customers don't want to talk to robots, right? And, you know, to hit the first question, we don't look at our technology as a job replacement. We look at it as augmentation. And that's how it's always played off with the advancement of technology. And yeah, sure, some jobs may may be replaced because automation and robots can do them better. But for every job that it replaces, it creates two or three more. And history has shown us that constantly, and it's repeated itself over and over and over. So this is evolution, especially in terms of technology, and we kind of hold a very strong stance around that, around the augmentation versus replacement. And then as far as, hey, my customers don't want to talk to a robot or some sort of automated assistant, we have a very strong stance inside the company that we believe they do given that the experience is good. And that's, that's really, you know, when new technologies, new technologies come out, especially one that's rode the hype cycle, like ours has, you know, everyone's tried really shitty experiences. And it puts a sour taste in your mouth, right? And that's reality. And until they see something that really is enjoyable, that really actually, hey, you know, this is actually a really good experience for my customer. Until you get there, until they feel that, that's going to be an objection that you're going to have to go up against every single time. I have like uh, a really fun question for you here. And that is, yeah. you know, for, <laughs> you know, you, you're, you're driving Mev every single day. You know, you're, you're facing many different challenges as an entrepreneur and it never, well, it's always like, to some degree, it's always a consistent uphill battle, isn't it? Yes. Right. <laughs> so is there like a personal mission statement uh, that you live by? It's tough. I think... You just got to really slow down, slow down. It's so easy to get caught up in checking Twitter and Hacker News and TechCrunch and being like, oh my God, this entrepreneur just raised 50 million here, you know, 100 million seeds, something ridiculous over there. And it's like, it's really intimidating to look at that stuff every day and say, man, what are we doing over here? But if you take all that aside and you slow down, and you just start breaking things into really small chunks and you start thinking a lot more long-term. And for me, I do I want to grow a very big, hyper-successful company? Of course, who doesn't, right? But if I stayed focused on that goal every day, I'd get burnt out, get burnt out on a regular basis. So I like to always celebrate and appreciate small wins along the way. Um, I really tried to fall in love with the day-to-day, right? Every single day, you know, getting on a phone call with a customer and just hearing about their day-to-day. How can I put myself in an environment to enjoy that and to make that sustainable? Because if you're doing those things, the basics, right? Talking to your customers, improving it, incrementing every day, making sure the team's good, we're having fun, everything else is accomplishable. It's going to take 10 years, but it's going to look like it happened overnight. So. 
no big, airy, lofty mission statements for me. I'm just really trying to stay uh, focused on enjoying the day-to-day of this. And I believe if I can accomplish that, then I could be a happy guy. And if I'm a happy guy, I can accomplish anything. All right. I love that. I really, really love that. What's interesting is that every every other person that I've spoken with on the How We Solve podcast, like it always differs. And I really, it, so the reason why I ask this question is because I, I always like to find out what drives an entrepreneur. And it's always very different, I guess, different kinds of triggers, different kinds of uh, reasons why, why people do what they do. Now, when, when it comes to making this transition from an agency into a product company, is there a specific book or resource that you highly recommend people to check out? Well, that's a great question. I have yet to find any specific resource or playbook <laughs> for what we did, which is actually ironic because I was I was talking to one of the team members earlier today and I was saying, man, this happens a lot, right? I hear about consulting companies transitioning to product companies a lot, but there's no playbook. There's absolutely no you know resource for this. You just kind of go into it. That being said, as far as like books or resources are concerned, one of the things that you know I, I would really recommend is you know learning how to sell a product is very different than learning how to sell a service or a consulting company. Again, that same problem, right? Like you you can you can solve anyone's problem anyway, right? Product company is very different. So really learning the fundamentals of SaaS selling is important. Predictable Revenue by, I believe, Aaron Roth. Um, Such a good book. And I think he actually just came out with another version of that, like an updated version. That is like de facto to me. Um, I keep it on my desk as reference. You know, those books that really help you define, you know, what your problem is, who you should be going after, how you should be going after them, nailing that as early as humanly possible and unlearning the way you would way, way you were to sell a, a consulting service or or uh, your firm is it, very important you have to you have to unlearn those skills and relearn a new skill all right all right no, but th- I think this is like this is like the book that everyone should have for sure it was really really good read <laughs> yeah yeah and it's short too so it's it's a it's a great timely read it's a good reference book I constantly yeah, find yeah. myself you know opening up a few pages understanding oh how did he position that or Oh, you know, how do we how do we move deals along the pipeline when they're stalled? Very simple yeah. things like that. That is that is super good. That is super good. And uh, for for listeners who are running their own fintech companies, uh, there's a, is there a special promo for them that they can test out with uh, for for math in their first year? Yeah, absolutely. The promo is you can email me <laughs> and <laughs> nice. uh, say you're listening to the podcast, and yeah, we'll throw in a coupon for sure. We'll throw in twenty uh, percent off your first year of math. All right. Very, very cool. And and Matthew's email here, it's m at hiremath.com. That's m at h-i-r-e-m-a-v.com. That's it. All right. Cool. And so uh, I guess like one of the things is uh, if people wanted to reach out to you more about this topic, they could do so through the email. Uh, is there any other like any other ways that people can reach out to, to get more yeah, information? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on all social, Twitter, Instagram. Handle is made by black, M A D E B Y E L A C K. You can hit me up, you can DM me, you can uh, drop me a message. Always love to chat about this stuff. All right, super cool. Well, Matthew, this has been a super, super wonderful chat session with you. And I think there's a lot of great 
information. There's a lot of great information for agency owners to learn from this if they want to make the transition. So thank you so much for your time to come on the How We Sell podcast. Thank you. I had a blast. Is your sales team spending too much time researching leads and accounts? We take over all the labor-intensive sales development tasks so your team can focus on building relationships and closing more deals. We don't just build lists. We take a strategic research-based approach to find your team qualified leads every day. Ready to start? Schedule your free consultation at taskdrive.com. That's T-A-S-K-D-R-I-V-E dot com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.